This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Track Brewing Company. I'm a, kind of a, like a restless person. I mean, I know it sounds uh, sounds a little bit cocky, but I mean, the, the second time you brew a beer, you know exactly what it's going to taste like. I mean, it's not exciting for me anymore. And I, I wanted to build something, I wanted to build an experience for people. That I mean... I, I I had experienced the beer world by, by by tasting a lot of different beers, by visiting a lot of different breweries, and and and, and I wanted to build kind of a, like a like a like a world of beer instead of just the, the so many beers on the shelf. I mean, you can always go get a new one. So, and that's why when I did the barn and the restaurants and then the festival and stuff, is is to kind of create a in some way a, a Disneyland a Disneyland of beer. Hello everyone, how are you doing? It's Stefan here, you are listening to The Thirst Time and it's episode 5, we are halfway through series 2, season 2 uh, and we have a bit of a special one for you today. So, I've sat down with some truly incredible individuals on this show, people that have gone from home brewer to brewery owner, from scientist to cleaning casks, from sommelier to heading sales... So many journeys, but if there is ever a story about the heights that this industry can reach, I think today's guest might top the charts. He has built a global empire spanning from the Faroe Islands to Shanghai. He is Mikkel Borg Bjergso, owner and founder of that little known brewery, Mikkela. I've got to say, I was a little bit nervous about this one. Uh... Mikkel is a very enigmatic figure within the industry. Um, I kind of sent a chance email about doing an interview and got a reply saying, sure. So put me on the spot a little bit. I didn't really think I was going to get a reply, uh, but I did. And I'm very thankful to Mikkel that he, that he bothered to take the time to read the email, look over what we were doing and, and respond. So we planned it, then we replanned it, and then we re-replanned it. Uh, but we finally, finally got it down. It turns out running such a huge operation is pretty busy work. Like I said, I was a little nervous. I've never met Mikel before and he's got a little bit of a mythical figure in the craft beer world thing going. But as soon as we got into it, I just became a bit of a giggly kid. So many questions. And Mikel was super forthcoming with with all of them. Um... Mikkel have shaped my beer experience, and I imagine a lot of yours. Mikkel was open about the whole process, how it started, how there was all these little bits of chance, these little decisions that have kind of grown it, and and chance meetings that have grown it into what it is now. So, yeah, I don't want to keep rambling on here, so let's get into it. You are listening to The Thirst Time, presented by Track Brewing Co. and me, Stefan Melwan. This is our interview with Mikkel Borg Bjergso, and we start with that all important question What was that first beer for him? I remember my first craft beer, which was back in 94 in the, in the US. I was, I was in, the, in the US running on a scholarship. Yeah. And I, for the first time, I tasted a beer that was different from, uh, from like macro lagers. It was um, was it called from Rogue um, Dead Guy Ale? Yep. So that was the first one. It didn't change a lot at that time. I mean, I thought it was uh, it was different and, and fun, but but I did that didn't 
that didn't turn me into to drinking craft beer. It was quite a few years later when I started the, when I came back to Denmark and I started uh, working at a at a pub or a bar in, in Copenhagen and uh, just started drinking different beers like Chimay, uh, the Belgian Trappist, Hogarden uh, and stuff like that, which were the only ones available in Denmark mm-hmm. at that time, like craft beers. But then in like the early 2000s, uh, we had a lot of new breweries uh, starting up in Denmark, and one of them uh, was called Boykhouse. It's not it's not with us anymore. It, it shut down quite a few years ago. But they made an IPA, like an American-style IPA, um, and that one was the one that turned me into home brewing wow. uh, and eventually into craft beer, so definitely. So that is, so. this is like, yeah, this is the start of your journey, which is, like I was just saying before we started, which has spanned such a huge... It's a global thing now, Mikola, what it's become. And and Copenhagen, to me and to, to many beer drinkers, is a mecca of craft beer and that is largely down to yourself like that's it's still the place that we send our beers to to want to kind of get tested and get an honest opinion because we know that people are pretty well they're they're very honest with how they think uh beer should be and how it should be drunk and if the quality is there then they're going to let you know and if it's not they're going to let you know so it's a beautiful market to test things in so if we could just take a little trip down memory lane for you like that first homebrew your pans, yeah. your pans bubbling on the stove. Did you ever kind of imagine where it could go from there? Uh, obviously not. Um, it was, it was never. I mean, when I started homebrewing in two thousand three, it was actually the first, uh, the same, uh, the same month in August two thousand three, where where uh, I got my first like full time full time job as a teacher. Wow! And I started homebrewing pretty much the same time, and just wanted. I mean. When I started homebrewing, it was it was pretty much to just to just make make beer at home that I had I had checked, that I had uh, bought in, in, in shops and, and bars and stuff uh, and kind of tried to, to, to brew that so I, I could get it um, cheaper pretty much. <laughs> that was pretty much Mikula, the, Mikula the, Moonshine. Uh, that was the start of it. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but then, then I started. I, I did my first couple of brews, and then I got extremely, extremely. Uh, I, it, it just caught on to me, and um, I was extremely passionate about home brewing. And I started brewing pretty much every weekend. And I had buckets of, of fermenting uh, beer everywhere in my apartment. And, and I mean, it, I started reading a lot about it and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the kind of person that when I started something, uh, I, I, I either quit pretty quickly or I jump into it a hundred percent and then I, I go full on and and in this case I went full on um yeah <laughs> definitely, so definitely brewing a lot uh, home brews and, and and just experimenting and tasting and and and, and reading about ingredients stuff like that so yeah when was it? The, was a heart that took like pretty much all of my free time. Yeah, so just it was kind of an immediate obsession after just trying a few different types. And was it was it just the flavors that you were able to? Was it trying to recreate something, or was it trying to create something that had never been done before that excited you? To begin with, actually, but I wanted to recreate. I wanted to clone that one uh, IPA from from Polkhouse, the Danish brewery, because I really loved that beer and. Um, I had an idea if I could clone that. I mean, that would be that would be amazing. Then I could I could drink that for the rest of my life without having paid too much money for it. But, um, so I actually contacted the brewer and asked for uh, some advice, and he he told me about some of the ingredients, and then I just started brewing that beer. Wow! Um, I think I did like 
15 attempts on that one uh, before I, I nailed it completely. Looks, aroma, taste, everything was the exact same. Um, it's actually one of the things that I that I, when when I'm asked uh, a good advice for 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 homebrewers, for new homebrewers, what is the best advice? In my opinion, the best advice is to find one beer and then clone mm-hmm. it, because uh, if you work towards something that you know already a taste or a beer that you know already, you will learn a lot about the ingredients. You learn a lot about like methods, about uh, mass temperatures, about fermentation temperatures and stuff like that. And you like, if it's too sweet, you might uh, take the mashing temperature a little bit down, uh, might add some different sugars or something. So it's actually, it was actually a really good learning curve for me to, in order to, to learn about the, the ingredients, about, about uh, the, the processes, um, so it was a good beginning, but then when I had I had, I had made that exact clone, in the meanwhile uh, during those months I, I tasted quite a lot of. We, in that period, we had so many different beers coming in from all over the world yeah. to to making. As you said, co-making at that time kind of became a, a hotspot for craft beer, mm-hmm. and and we had a lot of American breweries that started shipping beers to Copenhagen. Um, and I tasted quite a lot of, of these uh, West, West uh, Coast-style IPAs from, uh, from, from like Stone and Chinavada and, and Ballast Point and those guys. And, uh, and my, my palate had, had moved on from, from this Danish IPA. The Danish IPA was actually pretty mellow compared to those, those brutals. So, so when, I had, when I had made that exact clone, I wanted more. Yeah. I mean, I tasted, I tasted more, I tasted more extreme, and, and I just moved on. I just started adding more hops and more dry hops and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool because using that first IPA, I guess, was kind of just calibrating. You know, like like you're just finding out those little measurements where you know where the sweetness is going to come from. You know where the hops going to come from, and then you could exactly. just explode into absolute mega flavor combos. So just taking a little step yeah. forward from from that, then when was the first kind of commercial feeling um that you had where you were like maybe i could step out of because you were teaching at this time am i right and then yeah i was i was a full-time teacher yeah. and then the, the guy I was with christian keller which is the second half of, uh, of the mikhail name he's a he's a journalist um and um i mean we started we, i was a part of a beer club like a 20, 20 dudes that met up and, and had had tastings and blind tastings and stuff. And, and at, we started bringing our, our own beers, uh, our home brews, and, and it got really good reviews, mm-hmm. which kind of told us that, that we wanted something because it was it was uh, blind tastings. So in the, um, in late 2005, I decided to, uh, we thought it would be fun to get a reaction from people that we didn't know, yeah. like to get it out to, to the world. So, so um, we decided to, to, to start the company. And then in, uh, in May 2006 was the first time we released our beers officially uh, at a festival, a big beer festival in Copenhagen. Um, but we had in 2005, we had brewed um, a beer called Beer Geek Breakfast in our kitchen. Um, it was actually it was brewed in, on very basic equipment in our kitchen, and it got voted the best stout in the world on ratebeer.com, uh, and it just blew up from there. Because then, when we when we announced that we would release our first beer, beers uh, officially, we had so many importers and stuff contacting us. So yeah, it was. It was <laughs> the first time is supported by Crosby Hops. Whether you're looking for spot hops or locking in a hop contract, Crosby Hops has the hops you need exactly when you need them. 
Varieties like Amarillo, El Dorado, Idaho 7, Centennial, Kashmir and many more are available now. Crosby Hops is a bee crop certified independent and family owned hop grower, processor and merchant based in Oregon's beautiful Willamette Valley in the heart of the Pacific Northwest USA. Through generations of hop industry experience and their robust merchant processor platform, Crosby has cultivated long-standing relationships with like-minded independent growers and hop breeders across the globe. This unique model, alongside partnering with uh, trusted independent distributors like Lockram Brewing Stores, complements Crosby's estate-grown hop portfolio to provide discerning brewers access to a diverse selection of the finest hops on earth. And I say this every time, but we can attest to that. We are also supported by Lockran Brewing Stores. Since 2014, Lockran Brewing Stores has been connecting brewers with the world's leading farmers and producers of brewing ingredients. By working directly with hop and malt producers, including Crosby Hops, Indie Hops, Hop Revolution, Biwa, Lockran Family Malt, Best Malts, and Kessel Malting, Lockram Brewing Stores is able to supply the highest quality and most environmentally sustainable ingredients on the market today. Whether you're brewing hazy IPAs, Imperial Stout, or any other style of beer, Lockroom Brewing Stores has everything you need to take your beer from farm to glass. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the First Time, and this is our interview with Mikkel Georg Bergso. That's so cool. I've got like a, on like my notes here, is just like just written in big letters as Beer Geek Breakfast, because I know that that was yeah. such a huge beer for you guys, but I didn't know that that was a homebrew. I thought that it I was, thought that, that I was mean, like that you'd sent it off and it had been contracted, uh, like gypsy brewed and then come not, back. Not to begin with. Wow. The first time it was voted the number one on rate beer, uh, um, it was, we had made a hundred bottles on the stove oh, alone. Hey. And, and fermented in plastic pockets and stuff like that. So it was, you know, it was there was no 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 commercial commercial uh, about it. It was it was it was pure uh, amateur home bureau. Can I just take so like a moment? What do you think, Mikola would be here if that hadn't have happened? Was the bug there, or did that? Hard, did that it, it, it did definitely. It's hard to say. It, Definitely uh, kicked off uh, the whole Mikula thing, yeah. and it definitely helped us. Us, I mean, we got a pretty big name in the in the craft beer world with that beer uh, because of that beer. Obviously, it was it was big different back then because there were not that many players, especially now in Europe. Yeah. So, I think it would be a lot more difficult today, even if you made the best stout in the world and rate beer, it would be diff- would be different. So, I definitely think that it helped us um, a lot. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Yeah. It, it it's sped up, so we, we might not have, have have been growing or have been been popular that, that quick without that beer. But well, yeah, because yeah. this is the time. I don't. Was there many like? I mean, rape beer obviously was the app. Like there wasn't untapped and stuff like that. Yeah, and there was no. there was a little bit of beer geekery kind of like bubbling up, but it was probably a, a pretty uh, concentrated group compared to what it is now. You know, further down the line, I, I, we can dive into like MBCC, which is just like people with booklets, just like ticking uh, every, every right. single box. Um, and only rate beer in, in Europe, at least. There was beer advocate in, in the States as well. But, yeah. and, and, and a lot of the rate beer people were from Denmark, which might have helped us as well. I don't know. So a little bit of a home crowd, but so from there you, you kind of alluded to the fact that you know you were start then from that you got inundated with people like right we want to 
we want your beer. Like we want this. Uh, in America, I remember, like I was watching an interview and you were saying that you signed the, you signed a contract with an American distributor before you'd even had beer to produce. So yeah, yeah. I mean, in May, in May when we when we had when we went to this festival and presented our beers for the first time, we had I think it was six uh, U.S. importers contacting <laughs> us, and two, two of them, two uh, it was great. Two of them flew to Denmark, and we sat down with with them and uh, had had a conversation, and then we signed a contract with uh, one of them. Wow! And we were like, now we have to find a place to, to brew beer because we had only done home brewing. Holy shit! <laughs> So, yeah, so it was crazy. oh man! So, what did you have any essence of like what the next steps were after that, or was it literally like dive in and uh, we'll find out how to do this along the way? Because I guess you you know you've got a great partnership with De Proof in Belgium and stuff. Now I don't know if you had any inkling of breweries that could do that for you. Um, in- uh, no, at, at that time, and, and, and when we when we signed that contract, we I mean we pretty much looked. Uh, at each other, Christian and I, and uh, we were like, now we have to find a place to brew. And then we started, uh, we found a few places in Copenhagen, uh, in Denmark, a few breweries. Um, and I mean, the problem was that we, we, we had experience from home brewing. Mm-hmm. We had experience uh, brewing like 50 liters on the stove and fermented in plastic buckets. So, so moving from there to a commercial brewery, I mean, there's so many processes from home brewing that, 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 worked out for us at least in, in the home brewing that we that we were like we have to we have to do the same commercially because otherwise the beers might not be the same so for example a big breakfast 50 liters and on the stove is uh, we, we did we added coffee we, we did a french press of coffee and then put it into the bucket pretty much so so now we're brewing like five thousand liters so that's, that's a uh, big french press it's a hundred it's a, it's a it's a lot of french presses but we're like we have to do it the same way because if we don't, it might uh, it might taste different, and we we didn't want that. So we had a lot of, of uh, issues uh, like brewing commercially in the beginning because we were just like two homebrewers doing the same so, wait, stuff. Wait, did you did you actually do French press for that beer in in five thousand? Oh yeah, quite a few years actually. <laughs> we borrowed all our French, French presses because I mean you know we don't have to wait five four minutes and all that all that stuff. So we we. Bought all our friends, friend presses, and did like five at a time, and uh, it was crazy. That's insane. But, I mean, that was the only way we could get the same taste out of the coffee. So. And, so, and yeah, it, it and it's a big thing. It's a big thing. Like I know that a lot of people have go from this home brewing side of things, and then to scale up, and they just think that you can kind of yeah. just like multiply numbers in the same way, that, and it makes sense. But there's so much more that can you know can go into it. And I, I guess at this time as well, you know, water chemistry and stuff like that. I don't know if you were playing around with that kind of side of things or was it just pretty much just malt back then not at all yeah. back then not at all I mean, it was just yeah oh, this is, it's just trial this is so epic I mean also, also our, our first commercial IPA like we we, we got experience from uh, from the states so it's a lot of hops and a lot of dry hops and which no Danish brewer had ever had done before mm-hmm. so and just scaling up is I mean, the, the brew houses in Denver were not built for that many, but that much hops. So, I mean, we had we had to make bags out of, of cheesecloth and shove it in and, and, and pull it out and pull it out again. And, and it, was, it was a very big mess. But at least the beers taste like one or two. So. It's so cool, man. This is like giving me like I'm getting so excited talking about it because I think that, you know, for any home brewer at home, just the, the knowledge that you can go from that setup to 
you know, creating a business and then like create like a business like Mikula, which is absolutely fucking huge now. But, you know, Matt, our head brewer was just a, a guy in his basement before. And I think there's a real undercurrent of it through, obviously through the brewery world that then go on to create businesses just from those, that little, you know, pan, pan on a stove. It blows my mind. It blows my mind every time. So when did you kind of get a feel? Because, because the way that Mikula set up originally was very different. Well, I don't know if it was very different, but like you, you decided to be a gypsy brewer pretty early on. Yeah. And, and is, was that was that just a yeah, feeling that being in the brewery was just like, this isn't the, the thing that excites me. The thing that excites me is creating the recipes and then tasting it at the end and seeing that process. Uh, actually not. And first of all, it was not called gypsy brewer back then. Yeah. It was actually a term came quite a few years later, which, which, I mean, back then we didn't, we, we called it, I think we, in Denmark, we called it a, a ghost brewer. Ah. Uh, yeah, um, it was called contract brewing. I mean, no, the reason why we started that was because, I mean, I was working as a teacher. Christian was working as a, as a, as a journalist. We, did, we didn't want to, I mean, we didn't start Mikula to make a business. We started Mikula to make, yeah, and to show the, the audience that we could make good beer. Um, so we didn't want to. We didn't want to take a big loan, and because we saw in Denmark that a lot of breweries popped up back then, and at that time, and and they all went to the bank and got big bank, big bank loans, and then if you have to pay that back, you have to you have to make money, and if you have to make money, you have to make to, to brew beer that people want instead of brewing beer that you want to brew, mm-hmm. and we wanted to brew beers that we wanted to brew, so we decided not to take that risk, and then instead uh, just just uh, use uh, ex- existing uh, equipment uh, capacity, uh, and then brew exactly what we wanted, not compromise in any way on like French press and a lot of hops and stuff like that. So that was kind of it. That was kind of the reason why. Um, so we could concentrate a hundred percent on the product and not on the on on having to sell it because we thought if I mean if it wouldn't sell, I mean the only risk that we took was 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 uh, the the cost of that one batch mm-hmm. to begin with? We did one batch and sold that, and then we did the next batch and sold that. So that was kind of that was the reason why we we, we did that. Yeah, I mean, because I knew I was like uh, gonna do this interview. I was sitting, I've like been pondering it a lot because when I first got into the beer world, I actually did a bit of kind of just like helping out around like three different breweries, and they were just one man operations in the brewery brewing the beer. Then like writing the invoices, trying to do sales, delivering the beer. And you're just like, where does the, you know, your energy is just so dispersed over so many different lanes. Like how can you ever, I mean, you've just got to rely on hopefully finding the right people. And at the start, when I kind of got involved with track, Sam was a couple of months in and, uh, you know, I had to just do it kind of like on a commission based thing because you didn't have any money to, uh, to, to, to hire anyone. So I was just no. thinking of the, the huge benefits of just being able to have that like energy all focused on your sales, your kind of marketing and, and the beer, mm. like the recipes and the excitement. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, yeah. And, and, and in 2006, when we started, it was not a thing. Yeah. I, didn't, I, I mean, this type of, I mean, contract brewing is known from the big breweries. Yeah. We're known from the big breweries. Uh, I mean, even I think Casper brewed, brewed for Heineken back then in Denmark. Um, but but having starting a new small brewery and, and not owning a brew house was not known at all. Yeah. I think we were kind of pretty much the first ones. There was a few in the US that I know of, um, and that was it. 
but uh, but it definitely gave us the freedom to concentrate on the on the product and the, it gave us an opportunity to actually start a business without having a lot of money to start yeah. with so uh, and that's why i think it's it's called on like big time today and uh, we know there's so many like gypsy uh, gypsy uh, brewing brands in the world now because it's it's a good way to start and then eventually you can you can if it works and you and you and you can sell your beer. You can you can eventually brew, uh, build a brewery. So yeah, and it works on two sides because you've got like what you guys did, which is like super creative contract brewing, and then you kind of mentioned the big guys because there's a couple around here that just do kind of really standard beers, but they just push it out and they have like a lots of quantity yeah, yeah. and they just push everything into sales. But with you, there was uh, a real creative element. So can did you those first batches were they they were brewed in Copenhagen then, just a, a kind of small breweries that you knew. Yeah. Yeah. And were, were they just all finding homes in in Copenhagen as well, the beer? Or were you trying? Well, I guess you had your contract with the US. So, how was it? Yeah, I mean, we actually did start uh, started exporting from from day one. Yeah. I think actually Finland was our first country because they didn't they didn't need that much beer. So so we we shipped there with, with, uh, for the, as the first country, and then the US was I think our second uh, export country. Which obviously, when you when you ship to the US, it's uh, it, it's weird that that's your second second export market. Really weird. Uh, but yeah, but then in the, the, I mean, then we we very quickly grew out of capacity of these Danish breweries because I mean, even though they had some capacity, it's it's still a fairly small market, and these breweries are, are fairly small. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had to find a, a, like a, a better solution, and that's when I met the Prof in the, in Belgium. That I still use today, and that I have a really, really good relationship with. Were they kind of already in this market, or were they? Because this, you know, the beers that you were doing, you know, they, they're a Belgian-based brewery, so I guess like doing crazy coffee stouts or imperial sours or IPAs and stuff uh, weren't really in their wheelhouse, but they obviously had an, a, a knowledge and a base to just be a production brewery. Actually, Actually not. I mean, when I met the Paul for, for the first time in 2007, um, they were a brewery. They had a, not a good name, first of all. They had a name of, of they were a brewery where, where market, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm saying it pretty, pretty roughly, but where marketing people would go and say, we need a, a blonde ale, and then uh, they would find a recipe out of, of, and then they would brew a blonde ale. And then they would ship it to the marketing people and then they would market it and sell the beer pretty much. Right. So I was pretty much the first customer that came to them and said, I have this recipe, I want to brew this beer. And also I have this American IPA, West Coast style brew recipe and I want to brew this beer. And then I want to barrel age a beer, for example, which they have never even considered barrel aging. And all that stuff. So we kind of, uh, built, we, we grew a relationship from there. I mean, I've, I've been working with them now for it was like 13 years, yeah. uh, 14 years. And I mean, they have grown a lot with me and, and their knowledge. And, and all. I mean, we did the single hop series, uh, which is kind of a long time ago today. Um, we did single hop beers, which at that time, nobody had, had done that. I mean, back then, no brewery would, would even consider mentioning the hop variety on the on the label that's um, wild when we did the single up series we were kind of and and, and they and they grew into that and they started a phd project with that and so there's so much stuff that we have developed together um, including like now the normal business stuff like that so yeah it's it's a really really 
good uh, and close uh, working relationship and friend relationship that we have. And I mean, I'm, Michaela would not be where we are without the proof, mm-hmm. and proof would not be where they are without us. I mean, and, and for me, it's, it's like working with my own brewers. It, it, the only difference is that I don't know the I don't know the building and and, and I don't know the equipment, mm-hmm. but but I work in the exact same way. I make all the recipes. We communicate a lot about processes and stuff like that. So. Yeah, it's it's really good. Oh man, I didn't know that the, you guys had kind of grown so uh, synchronized, basically, like that you pushed them and they pushed you in the same direction. Because for anyone, uh, for I'm anyone that doesn't know the proof, like if you just look, like search on YouTube or something, like the facility now is just out of this world. It's crazy. And and I guess like like you were just saying there that the the, the Mikula brand has built kind of been a huge part of how that's even come to be. Yeah, but when I met them, it was a small brewery. I mean, they, they, I mean it, was, it was small, and, and no one knew about them. So yeah, we, we have definitely we have definitely grown together, which is which is amazing. And and now they're building. A, I mean, a new part of the brewery. They will have eight brew houses wow. soon. So it's it's crazy. They have so much knowledge. They have so many laboratories and 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 scientists and stuff. It's it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Man, one day I'll get up there just to, to just to see that place in action. It'll be incredible. Man, it feels like there's quite a bit of um, kind of bit of energy and pace like happening in the in Mikula at this time. So you've gone, you've sent your beers to be uh, brewed by the proof. Can you remember getting that batch back for the first time and trying it? Was it like really exciting? I guess like. We could get into a little bit about the artwork and stuff. I don't know who you were using at that time. I don't know if Keith had kind of come on board or it was someone different. Uh, but that's a huge part of Mikula as well. Uh, not to begin with, yeah, so begin with Keith was not on board. Yeah, I, I, I do remember getting the, the first batch. I actually think I, I went down there to taste it because it was my first beer down there. And I mean, we did, uh, I think it was uh, an IPA called Green Gold, which I think we're still making yeah, yeah, once yeah. in a while. I mean, it's 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 an old school IPA today, but it, I think it's still a, a good beer. Um, but definitely, it was it, w- it was also fun because the the owners, the brewers at, at the pool, they for them it was a very very new thing as well. So so communicating about it and and trying to push them even more was fun and exciting. So definitely, but yeah, Keys was not a part. I mean, we had we had a, a Danish a Danish girl designing the label. Actually, Steve's wife. Oh no way. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't know that. Were my first designer, so that's crazy. Yeah. So okay, so this is all. This is really bubbling now. So were you just feeling that there was just a kind of want for this, and your ideas were just um, just coming by the hundreds? You were just wanting to write recipes through the night, you know, like uh, some kind of speed freak or something, and just be like, right, let's just go, let's just go, let's just go. Uh, yeah. or was this? Th- were you kind of filled with a little bit of panic about this thing was moving too quick, or were you just like, no? Like you said, you you commit a hundred percent when you go for something, um, and I guess the relationship. No, no, I mean I had I had so many ideas and so many things that I wanted. Actually, it was kind of fun because I think we had done four different beers at the Pulp, and then I I, I I sent them the fifth recipe, and 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 Dirk, the owner, he came back and said, ah, let, let's just stick with the four beers, and we're all good. <laughs> but that was that was the way they used to work. I mean, they used to work with people who said like Blondale, and that was it. Yeah. So it's like let's just stick to that, and then and then let's let's brew more of that, those four beers, and, and we're all good. And I was like, no, I, I need to test this one. I need to barrel and stuff like that. So in the beginning, uh, I had to push them a lot, and we had a lot of communication, a lot, a lot of talks about it, um, and and obviously 
today it's, it's extremely different now he's even presenting ideas to me because he's researching so much and he has so many smart people down there so, so yeah. cool. and now I think that, um, I would say I've done at least a thousand different years in the pool probably more maybe 1500 so it's yeah. to a brewer They say beers are like children. It's impossible to pick your favorite one. And when you have over a thousand of them, that becomes even more challenging and possibly a stupid question to even ask. But that's exactly what I'm here to do. Ask stupid questions. So also, there's a Mikula beer that was a very special place in my heart and without which I'm not sure I'd be in this business really. Um, I actually mentioned it in the very first episode of the first time to to Anthony. Uh, so it was amazing to know that that beer was also one that Mikel had a soft spot for. So let's get back to it. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the first time and this is our interview with Mikel Bjorg Berkso. You've hit the thousand plus mark of beer recipes, which I don't know how many other brewers in the world could have possibly even touched that. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot. And I just wondered if there's any that stick out to you. Obviously, Beer Geek Breakfast being such a kind of like seminal moment for you as a, as a brewer and the reception it got. But are there any other series that you just really remember as like me being really meaningful to you and also developing Mikula as a brand? Uh, it's, it's it's difficult to say uh, because we've done so many and uh, there is a lot of them have been have been very important to the brand. I think the the next one after Piggy Breakfast was actually Piggy Brunch, which um, which was a step off. Uh, it was a higher alcohol, uh, more like more. This is and this is back when dessert start was not a thing actually. But we did a beer with uh, with like eleven percent. Um, with, with this weasel coffee um, that I released in 2009, and it got, I mean, it got ex- an extreme amount of attention, both in Denmark because of, of the weasel coffee. It was all over the, the media, and I, I had to go to, like, Sunday brunch, our version of Sunday brunch, and, and talk about it. And, and there was a politician that actually uh, wanted to sue me because she, she thought it was nasty that I put coffee, which came out of the, the weasels behind in the beer and stuff like wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. What, what's, so I was wondering, what, what's Weasel's coffee? This is... It's, it's a coffee that it's called, uh, I mean, it, it's coffee luvak. It's, 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 uh, we have these little weasels, these little uh, animals that eat the coffee beans and then it goes through the digestive system and then they, they poop it out. And then they, in, this is done mostly in, 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 uh, in Asia. And then they, they pick the beans from the, from the ship pretty much, clean it. And then you make a coffee out of it, and it's the most expensive coffee in the world. Um, <laughs> I was going to say holy shit, but li- literally holy shit—that's insane. I, I mean, in the search for adjuncts, I don't know if you get much bigger than that's absolutely wild. No, no, yeah. And I, I, the reason why I used that coffee—it wasn't for actually for the gimmick. I, I had travelled in Vietnam in I think in two thousand and one, and tasted that coffee. And because of the the digestive system, they they the, these little weasels have some enzymes in in the in the system that breaks down all the bitterness uh, in the coffee. So this coffee actually tasted a lot like chocolate. Wow! Uh, when you drink it, and that's why I thought that coffee would be amazing for like a and a, a, a very high alcohol oatmeal style, which today would be a dessert style or whatever. So that was actually the reason. 
And then that uh, stout, I, I think it came in as number 20 on Rape, all, all beers in the world. So obviously, it, it, it's, again, it, it got so much attention. So so that one made, made a lot as well. But I also have, I mean, other styles. We did the first time, I did a, I did a beer called Nilsson Sunyong, which which is, uh, it's called Nilsson Brut today. It's, it's, it was, I wanted to do a, a champagne beer. So I, I made a few enzymes, which also at that time nobody used that to make it very, very, very dry and clean. And then I aged it on Chardonnay barrels and I released it for New Year's in 2009 the first time. And that was, I think that was a, a, a big point in my, in, in Mikela's uh, universe as Can well. Can I just because... stop you there? Because, uh, so the first episode I did, I, my friend who I interviewed asked me what mine was and, uh, it was that beer, like that beer. Uh, yeah, seriously, that was like, uh, it It was, yeah, Nelson Sauvin aged in white wine barrels in a, like a champagne bottle. And I was working at a, yeah. I was working at a bar and um, I think, you know, it was in a 750 bottle and one of the, like a couple of the bar guys were just like, do you want to go, you know, we'll go threes on this bottle if you want. And, and I was really new to it. I, 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 you know, tried a few wheat beers and stuff like that. And then I tried that and it, it just blew blew my mind and I was just like what what is this I don't I, I've never had anything like this like you said it was kind of like wine element it was dryness it was like floral and uh yeah it changed everything so I was I, I, that's so cool that that was a big beer for you as well that's what I wanted I mean I, I wanted to imitate a champagne yeah so I, as I said I use enzymes to make it extremely dry I used only Nielsen Sauvin hops to give it that 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 uh, wine characteristics mm-hmm. from the hop I use champagne yeast and then aged it in, in, in wine barrels. So, and it actually started my 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 desire for making wine-like beers. I've got quite a few uh, of those ever since. Um, I think I mean merging those two worlds is. I think it's a great thing. Yeah, it's and and it's really becoming more prominent. But just to give people a sense of time as well. So that that first Nelson Silver and that was two thousand and nine. Was it? Did you say? Yeah, New Year, two thousand nine. Yeah, so like twelve years ago now, which just is just wild. And, yeah. and, and like just talking about those adjuncts that you were using, you know, people people still get bowled over by using coconut. But yeah, weasel poop coffee is a is a is a new one to me. But <laughs> are you still producing uh, that beer? Yeah, yeah, we are. We're definitely not. I mean, once in a while we do it. I mean, I think it's still for. I don't drink a lot of imperial stouts of eleven percent. I would say, but but I think when I taste it, I think it's it's still it's still good. still special. Okay, so what was the kind of you know the front end is just running away like there's all these recipes, there's all these kind of um, different importers you sell into different countries like America as well, which is a crazy market to sell to first because obviously they've got beer over there like it's quite a healthy scene. Whilst in Europe, it's it's still bubbling away what was the kind of back end with you and because it was was it just you and Keller then just doing everything at this point yeah Keller actually left in 2007 so okay. I, he, he was he was involved for about a year and then I was pretty much doing everything by myself uh, I was doing everything by myself actually <laughs> including like accounting and everything and then I got my first employee I think in 2008 or something um and we worked together for a couple of years. We, we pretty much yeah, we did everything. We traveled, did tastings, festivals, paid taxes, uh, wrote, I wrote recipes, uh, packed pack, pack pallets at the warehouse, everything. And then uh, in 2010, I mean, had, not having a brewery is kind of 
you kind of felt homeless, yeah. um, especially when because we had so much attention from 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 the outside world, outside Denmark, and we had quite a lot of, of beer geeks and and importers and stuff wanting to come to to Copenhagen to to visit us and taste our beers. Um, and I never knew where to to take them or where to tell them to go. So I decided in 2010 to open my first bar, and then that that. that when I opened that, and, and I think that was in May 2010, I got my second employee. So, <laughs> <laughs> and what did you have a really? Because like Mikola has grown so much now, and the brand is just in, so incredibly strong. Did you have a real sense of what what it was going to be then, or was this kind of just making it up as you go along and just following it? Because I get the other thing is that the way that you did sales was quite different. You know, you didn't go down your conventional kind of advertisement route. It was a little bit more like guerrilla marketing. I don't even know if it was a bit before like viral videos and all that kind of stuff, but there was a different sense to what you were trying to build than your, your standard kind of like put it on a billboard or put it in a magazine article. Um, was this just feeling it out or was this very kind of like you had this, this road that you wanted to walk down and you were just following that path? I hundred percent feeling it out. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I actually, one of my ground rules from, from day one when I started Mikula was never to like do uh, marketing, like regular marketing. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I, I mean, I, I know we're doing some, some marketing on, on, on social media today, but, but I mean, I didn't want to tell people to buy my beer. I, I wanted them to discover, to discover it themselves because I, I, I had an idea that if you tell people, I mean, if you put up a, bill, a big billboard, you tell people to buy something that they didn't want, that they didn't know they wanted to buy. And they, there is a very big risk that they will be disappointed. If you if you don't tell people to buy something and they discover it themselves by talking to their friends or by any, something else, they will they will probably be more happy about their purchase than if 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 not. So that was kind of my one of my ground rules. And also when I opened the the, the first bar, I mean we put it in a very very, I mean back then a very shady street in Denmark. It was actually. That street was was has been a lot of, had been a lot in the news in 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 Denmark because it, it was pretty much the worst street for prostitution and and drug uh, drug sales in in Denmark, and I put it there because I didn't want people to to just walk past the bar and then oh there's a beer bar let's go back here. I wanted people to search it out because I had an idea that if 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 you walk down that street if you if and and you go into that bar you really want to go into yeah. that bar and you will have a better experience. Um, and actually, quite a lot of our bars since then have, have been in, in like different kind of shady, uh, not obvious uh, locations because I think you get better customers by that way. I mean, if you walk down the main pedestrian street and and it sells beer and you walk in and, and get a beer, often you will not have good experience. Um, so, so we kind of did anti-marketing. We kind of we we, we didn't put a lot of of, of Michaela, like. Uh, Nikola signs and stuff on the on the on the first bar as well because we wanted people to to actually know that it was there and then go and visit it instead of just accidentally walking by. So it was it was purposely that we did it that way. Which goes against everything that you would normally you know when people are building bars they're just like where's the highest footfall or where the where the shops is. But yeah, yeah. you saying that just this all feels like what it, this this again the building of Mikola, which is people coming to you and then being committed and having an experience and i think that you know my view of Mikola now is that it's almost beyond well definitely beyond uh, the liquid in a glass it is an experience 
So I wondered, like, did, did you kind of, when were the ideas kind of coming to you where you're just like, right, I don't want Mikola to just be a brewery. Like, I want to, it sounds like you were kind of thinking of it with the bar straight away that, like, this is going to be an experience. Yeah. This isn't going to just be, like, someone pours a beer in a glass, you sit there and drink it. Definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a, like a restless person. I mean, I know it sounds, uh, sounds a little bit cocky, but I mean, the, the second time you brew a beer, you know exactly what it's going to taste like. I mean, it's not exciting for me anymore. Yeah. And I, I wanted to build something. I wanted to build an experience for people. That will, I mean, I, 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 I had experienced the beer world by, by, by tasting a lot of different beers, by visiting a lot of different breweries. And, 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 and I wanted to build kind of like a like a like a world of beer instead of just the, the, the so many beers on the shelf i mean you can always go get a new one so and that's why when i did the barn and the restaurants and then the festival and stuff is to kind of create a in some way a, a disneyland a disneyland of beer where you can go and have the full experience you can stay there and you can drink and you can eat and you can run and you can all that stuff um i think because i think beer deserves it i mean beer is is for me is there's so much you can experience with it. More uh, just going to the to the shop and taking a, a bottle or a can down the shelf and then drink it and that's it. And then you next next day you buy a new one. So that's yeah, that's 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 why we're doing all these different things and in the way we're doing it because I think it's it beer deserves that. The reason I kind of started this podcast and you know like the thing that kind of doesn't irk me as such, but I still think that beer is seen in this kind of slightly different light. It's kind of, you know, further down the list that, you know, you've got wine where people get really serious about it, go on holidays to it and, and really want to experience everything that a vineyard has to offer. And it's kind of seen as quite highbrow and then whiskey and all that kind of stuff. And beer is just in this weird light, like that people don't really recognize, well, people that know it, love it. And then other people just think it's kind of just like, oh, it's just a it's just some fizzy stuff in a glass. There's not. There's not that much to it. Exactly. When I mean, when I when I started, and I mean, beer was just a, a product that you'd consume if you were either thirsty or wanted to yeah. get drunk. That yeah. was it. Nobody had an opinion about it. Nobody pretty much gave a shit. Gave a shit about it. I mean, a lot of people were talking about wines and grapes and 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 as you say, tra- traveling to 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 wine areas and stuff. But beer was just something that you put in your mouth for, for one or two reasons. Um, and, and I wanted to change that. I wanted to put beer on the map and make it an experience, which I think craft, which, which craft beer is, is a great experience. And it, 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 it's so much more than just a, a consumer product. Yeah, and it brings me, like the connection that you have with, with the people that are drinking it, you know, like NBCC being a, just such an incredible example of just like, the brewers on one side, the consumers on the other, and the the conversation that's happening and the dialogue and just the fun that people are having with their friends and try this, try this, you know, which is weird with obviously COVID yeah. times. You're just like, when can people share glasses again? I don't know when, that, <laughs> when that's going to be. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Yeah, um, so, so we've kind of talked a little bit about the beer and that kind of bubbling away, but when was it, you know, what were the steps that you took for Mikola that were outside of beer that really kind of um, felt huge and risky. I'm thinking of like CBC or something like that was, and, and I guess yeah. the bars and stuff, but there was, there was a few moves that you made that, that must've felt kind of like, well, I don't know if this is going to work. 
I mean, obviously the first bar, I, I was like, I, this could be a very bad idea. <laughs> Opening a bar in a very shady area, even in Copenhagen, <laughs> not the most shady city, but but still, I mean, you know, you hear a lot about about uh, protection money and all this stuff. Yeah. And I was like, this might end wrong, and we also had our, our, our problems. But I mean, it was, it, I mean, it was just natural step. And then, uh, I mean, actually. It's, the first bar, it took a few years, and, and then we actually started the uh, CBC, which is now NBCC, because of that bar, because we did the first year, first of all, that bar got, I mean, when we opened that in May, the 10th of May, 2010, it got, like, the most crazy amount of attention. I've, 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 I mean, it was, it was, yeah. It was a crazy experience. Why do you, why do you we, think that was? Was people like kind of like following you as a person and what you were kind of doing in this kind of, because it's kind of guerrilla, you know, like like you say, you're opening a bar in a place that you shouldn't open a bar. And it, yeah, and then I think 2,000 people showed up for the opening. It's, oh. it's a 100 square meter bar and we, we had about 2,000 people from all over the world, from, from Japan, Australia, US, everything. And everything was covered on national, uh, national news and then my, we were in a in a period of I mean it, it's, it was also a lot about luck pretty much mm-hmm. I mean we had a lot of attention um, and and around that time we had this restaurant in Denmark called Noma you probably yeah, heard yeah, about yeah. it which was the best restaurant in the world for the first time and uh, and and the the whole Noma effect just just happened to us as well I mean the media called uh, when, when we announced the opening the media said, uh, called it the, 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 the Noma of beer is opening a beer bar so obviously we got so much attention and it was pretty much pure luck um, it was I think Denmark and, and, and Scandinavia was just ready for, for something like this um, and then plus we had this all this attention from from the beer beer community and the craft beer community it just yeah, it pretty much just blew up which was, was fun. Do you think there's a sense of place as well? Like, do you think this would have happened if it was London or something like that? Or do you think that, the, like, just that little bubbling of like Scandinavia and, like you say, the, the, the food and everything just became like this explosion? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, yeah, I think it was it was a, it was it was really good timing. Right Not that we timed it, yeah. but it was definitely extremely good timing. And just, I mean, we just went from. From being unknown in the culinary world, Scandinavia, to being pretty much the most the most uh, amazing uh, sought after uh, place in in the culinary world. I mean, Copenhagen became a city that pretty much because Noma uh, became a city where everybody wanted to go, and so it was it was definitely a good time. So, the, and, oh, uh, man, this is crazy because like, so the spotlight is well and truly on you now. You're kind of like. You either can kind of just, uh, I guess you can dance in it or you can sweat underneath it, which is like, you've got all of this focused attention. You could have just mm. kind of carried on and just had the bar and kind of carried on putting out your beers. Um, but obviously that didn't stop you. You've Mikkel kind of has gone on to do way more than that. So did you just feel all that energy behind you that you just wanted to, to just explode and, and just go in every direction? Or were you still very focused on, on, on kind of where you wanted to move next? I would say both. I mean, again, I'm, I'm extremely restless. And, and if, I, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I see something or an opportunity or something that, that is not existing, or I mean, I, I will go for it. Yeah. And that's why we have... 
different restaurants today. We have the festival. We have we have we're making wine. We're making so many different things, chocolate and stuff. Uh, we even have a running running clothing brand and and, and a very good running club and stuff. It's 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 pretty much because I I can't I can't not do it if if there's an opportunity. Yeah. I think I think I want to. I want to make the, world, the 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 best out of out of this world, uh, and there's I, I experienced so many great things when I travel and stuff, and I want to bring that to people. So, so so it. I mean, it's the problem is that the biggest problem is, is that often I don't have a, have a plan behind something when I do it. <laughs> we, we I decide that I want to do something, and then we make it, happen, and then then the plan comes afterwards, which obviously sometimes gives us. It's just great hair and headaches, but but I mean that's just how I work, and and now I have a big organization that that uh, kind of helped me keep stuff down, and, and and we discussed things a little bit more today. But I still have so many ideas and so many fun things that I want to do, and I mean the day that I don't have that, and I don't, I mean, I mean I'm I'm not the right guy for the job yeah. anymore because. I will be bored and I will just do, I will just find something else to do. I mean, I will start making something else. Or, well, the exa- so. your energy has to cook. Like for me, like I, I feel like a hundred percent with you because the only thing that keeps me going is I have to get up and be excited about what I'm going to do. You know, like there has to be excitement and otherwise, yeah. otherwise why am I going to get out of bed to just, you know, like plod mm-hmm. around and just do a beer that, everyone else is doing or something like that there's there's got to be some energy behind it like and it's so funny because you know talking about victoria gid uh Mikula, which still i think is probably my favorite Mikula bar that i've uh ever been to it's yeah and then it's you know further down the line the total opposite which is Mikula airport like at, at copenhagen yeah. <laughs> You've gone from somewhere that you've gone from somewhere that's got like no footfall uh, in a, like you know in a, the red light district of Copenhagen to the center of a, an international airport, and that must have been a you know a, a huge risk on a different side because airports are funny. I mean, the, the regulations and stuff that you have to work within are, are pretty hard. Was was that just a, an idea that just kind of came to you, and then and then you had to make make good after it? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's again, it's. Uh, I mean, I travel a lot, yeah. and I, I think I thought it was weird that all airport locations were the same. They're so commercial and so. Yeah. There's so much about just making money mm-hmm. and nothing else. So I wanted to change that. I wanted to make a bar that I would actually want to go to because, and I said, I said this will definitely be the Michela bar that I would visit the, the most. <laughs> obviously, because I travel so much. It has been a bar that I've visited many times, and I think we have actually accomplished what, what my goal was to to create something that is extremely unique. I mean, it's been voted the best airport bar a couple of times in the world, and and I mean, you can get you can get Kanchong, you can get Bokkerider, you can get Dark Lord from Tree Flush, you can get so many different beers. I mean, we put so much energy into making something that is not commercial, where even even hardcore beer people can go and have a very good experience. So. And that there, so it's it's a fun, it, again it's a fun project, and we do it in a very different way that that it would normally be done. Yeah, I mean, for anyone that has done much traveling and stuff, like being able to get like an awesome IPA whilst at the airport is is heaven. So if we can kind of skip back, because I'm all over the map here, because there's so much to kind of cover, because. 
Can we get into a little bit about branding? Because, you know, branding is such a huge part of the beer world now. It's like, it's, it's you know, people buy a branding. You know, they'll just look at the, at the can or whatever or, and pick it purely for that reason. But you had, you know, there's such a strong Mikula brand. And that was, was that more when Keith kind of came on that he really kind of bent it to, to what it is now with the characters and everything? Or did you have a sense of what it was before that? I, I did have a sense before that, and, and I mean, I, I wanted. I mean, I thought we had great branding before Keys as well, yeah. but but obviously, obviously, Keys made a, a very big difference, and and he's a very very big part of of the Mikula branding and the universe today. Um, I, I mean, he, he, I think, in my opinion, he kind of redefined beer mm-hmm. beer branding when he, when he started. I mean, because it got extremely personal. I mean, we, we, I've, I've taken some pretty, pretty lucky steps in, in, my, in my life of uh, Mikela branding. I think the first one was actually to call it Mikela, yeah. which was what I did as a home brewer. But people knowing what the brewers or what the, the owners, whatever brewers' name are, names are, actually makes, I think, in, in my opinion, a big difference. I mean, I remember back in the days, people would, would I, I would, I would hear people talk in the bar about Mikkel, and they, and they would tell stories to their friends about, about this guy Mikkel and this guy Killer, and I was sitting next to them, and they didn't know, so obviously they had no fucking clue, but that was cool. And they were like, oh, this guy Mikkel, he's a teacher, and Killer is a, he's a journalist, because they knew our names because of, 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 the, of, of the name of the brewery, the branding of the brewery. And, uh, and... And then Keith came in and, and made these characters and made it like very, very, um, yeah, very intimate in some way because you kind of got to know these characters, you got to know the, the way of the branding and, 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 and Keith as well. And, and I think in the beer world, he's pretty much the, the most famous uh, beer label designer. I mean, the guys, the guys that, that most people know, I mean, I hear... I think everybody, a lot of people in the beer world, they know Keith Shaw by name, but I don't think there's a lot of, of, of beer label designers where people actually know the name. No. Uh, so it tells me that he's, he's done some branding that is very personal and that that, uh, that uh, approaches people people in a very personal way. He, um, I guess and, and he's so important to me. Yeah, I guess it's, it's yeah. having that thing of like, you know, there's the Brooklyn emblem, which, you know, you can see from across the room, and it's just the B, and you know it's very kind of uh, immediate. But with Mika, I know a Mikula beer from like way, you know, ten meters away or something. But there's still difference to each label, but there's continuity throughout that as well. Um, how did you? How did you guys come to kind of? Uh, how did you kind of build a relationship with Keith in the first place? Did had you spotted his artwork and thought, oh, we could do something with that, or, or did he pitch to you, or? A coincidence, hundred um, percent. Actually, a great thing called luck. I, I, yeah, again, it, I mean, uh, there's a lot, lot of luck in my my, my life with me, Killer. No, I went to um, uh, many years ago, more than ten years ago, eleven years ago. I went to the US to do some tastings. Actually, a tasting for the Danish ambassador. Uh, he was leaving the, the Washington, and he wanted as a last thing, he wanted me to come and do a tasting, which was kind of weird, but I did, obviously. <laughs> so cool. And. Uh, and then, I, well, because I was in, in, in the U.S. on the East Coast, uh, I thought I'd do some events. And then I, I did one in Philly um, at, at, I think, Monk's Cafe or something. And I, it was announced. And then this guy, 
that I've not never heard about. He emailed me and said, "Hey, my name is Keith. Uh, I see you're coming to do this event. I would love to meet up and show my artwork." I was like, "Yeah, no way." Just, just show up and, and let's have a beer. And, and then he did. Um, and then we just, we just connected. And uh, I went back home. And then uh, he, he started emailing me. And he was like, I want to do a label for you. He'd never done a beer label before. Um, and then actually the first beer that, that he, I, got, I made him, uh, asked him to do a label for was actually a collaboration that I did with Brewdog. Um, it was called I Hardcore You, I think. Um, I... I was doing, I, I, we did that collaboration and then uh, I thought since it's collaboration we, I can I can kind of change my artwork so I asked Keith to do the, the artwork for that and it, I think it turned out extremely well and and he was really I mean he was so easy to work with and that's it kind of grew from there and then I asked him to do a second label and and now we're here so man it's so nuts like if I mean if, if he hadn't shown up for my tasting at that bar I mean the Michaela story I don't think where we are today so yeah oh, i love these kind of just like chance meetings look and a little bit of just um mm. you know because i've done it you know, i used to do music and stuff and you kind of you send out a lot of like emails to people in the hope that maybe someone will be like listen to your music or invite you to do a gig or something like that and occasionally yeah, yeah. occasionally they hit 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 home and like you say that that the whole path of Mikola and keith's existence because his artwork is seen all over the world now um uh, totally changed with one little email. It's pretty much sliding doors, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's amazing. If, if I hadn't, if I hadn't replied to that email, where would Michael have been today? You, you would never know. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's weird. Yeah. And exactly then the same with the uh, the beer geek breakfast at the start, where if you hadn't brewed that beer, then who knows where it exactly. gone and if it hadn't have got the uh, the praise that it did. So, the, oh man, so. I wanted to touch on CBC because, you know, this is like 14, episode number 14 or some, something like that. And, um, you know, there's, a, there's quite a few people that have come through, including myself, like going to MBCC or CBC and having yeah. like an experience that, you know, defined their career. You know, there was Katie who I spoke to who used to be a Cloudwater was White Frontier and, you know, she went kind of with uh, the hope of, of being able to find someone to, to brew with or brew for or like just make some connections and friends. And there was Hannah, who was the head of sales at um, Cloudwater, who, you know, she went one year and was this really shy person who didn't really know much about beer at all to be next year, like selling beer on the bar at Cloudwater, kicking kegs, people just like queuing all down the, the way. Um, so it's given people so many people so many experiences, and I wonder what your kind of first, um, what you really had in mind for it. Was it just bringing great beer to a great city, or was it like, like you said, like the Disneyland effect of, of connecting people over what you thought was a great product? Uh, I mean, no, I wanted to create a, a, a pretty much what we call a party for brewers, yeah. um, where where brewers wanted to go and have fun and meet each other. Because I'd been to, to some festivals, there were not a lot of, of, of craft beer festivals back then, but I've been to some, and I always thought that, I mean, you go as a brewer, the, the organizer expects you to be in your stand and serving beers for, for 10 hours, mm-hmm. and then go home, and that's it. 
So I wanted to to swap that around and say I wanted to create a festival where the brewers uh, get all the attention because I thought that if 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 the brewers are happy, that they will make the customers happy as well. Um, and that's why we from the beginning we did a lot of like very big dinners and, and and a lot of a lot of fun stuff for the brewers and and it worked out because I mean. I knew that if, if they came to Copenhagen and they had a lot of fun and they had good food and they had a lot of, of socializing, they would first of all come back and they would, second of all, they would bring all their best beers because they wanted to make a party out of it and they wanted to make the brewers happy or the customers happy. Uh, so that was, kind of, that was kind of the idea with it. Um, and also to create a, a place where there's a very, very little distance between uh, between the, the customers and the brewers because Normally, when you go to a festival, at least back then, there was—I mean—the brewers was behind a, 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 a table in a stand, and then I mean, you could go up and, and get a beer served, and that was it. So I wanted to change that and not have all this, all the commercial, commercial, commercials like signs and, and all that stuff. That's why we removed all that. So to make everybody equal, um, and I think I mean uh, I think that worked out because I mean for for me, NBCC today is it's just one big. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. much. It's, it's like four times, uh, almost four thousand people just having fun with each other, and 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 just. I mean, the brewers are having fun. Uh, the customers are having fun. Everybody's talking to each other and stuff. That was that was it. That was what I wanted. And it's all um, well. And and in the same thing, you know, like the sad part of this is that we came the last year that it was on. I can't, it was two thousand and. 19 i guess was the last one because last year was cancelled so we came we did a we weren't pouring at the festival we did the tap takeover at uh victoria gate and we had such an awesome time just like hanging around and seeing loads of friends and meeting loads of new friends uh but this last year was going to be our first year pouring so you know and, and and as and what it's become now for a brewer is the most heralded you know european festival you know if you get the invite it means that the quality of your product is is meeting yeah. hitting a certain criteria and you can go fuck you know like so when i first started like one of the big aims was just like right well we want to be pouring at Mikola. like that's that's like a huge part of it you know six years ago we were just like brewing a couple of casks or something but we knew where we wanted to get to mm. and i don't know does that excite you now that you know that this, this is like you know kind of like looking for new breweries and looking for new people and 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 products and and trusting you know your team and stuff to kind of find things that that uh you know that warrant attention or warrant like being in yeah i mean that's what i think that's the most exciting part about it it's but it's sadly also the most hard hard part about it because it's it's so difficult difficult to turn down amazing breweries and and we have to because we only i mean we at least where we are today in 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 that in that venue we can only hold I think that in 19 we had 110 breweries, and that's pretty much maximum mm-hmm. in that place. Um, we are thinking about ways of, of expanding that, but obviously we don't want to make it too big because we want to keep it intimate and, and personal. But we have so, I mean, there are so many amazing breweries in the world today, and, and there are so many new breweries coming up, And but, but all the 110 that was there last time are great friends, close friends, so obviously, if we want to, we want to add a new brewery. We have to to say no to somebody who's already been there before. So it's pretty much the hardest part of our jobs. Uh, our job is is to is to navigate in this because I mean I would want five hundred breweries to come if I, if I could because there there are enough good breweries. 
but it's just not possible. Um, so, yeah, it's, but uh, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely extremely, extremely giving and interesting, uh, like getting so many samples from different, we get, we get a lot of samples. Yeah, uh, to our, to our and because we want to, like breweries want to attend and there's a lot of, of great ones. Um, well, uh, hopefully, hopefully this year, all fingers crossed, uh, it will happen this year, um, and we'll be yeah, able to come across for the first time. To, uh, we moved it to the fall, um, and I mean, it, it has to happen, and it will be it will be a very big party. It's also the tenth anniversary, so oh, man. it has to happen. Yeah, uh, I actually kind of skipped, like to be honest, because it, it was it's originally in in May, isn't it? Uh, April May time, and then. Uh, and then it got moved to October, and then I had my daughter in October, so I wasn't going to be able to have go to that one. So I don't want to say I was thankful for the pandemic because I'm definitely not because of everything it's caused. But it means that like the next time it's on, I'll be actually able to come over and, and pour, which is uh, something that I'm dead excited about. And 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 a kind of like you know a little bit of a a dream come true, dare I say, of like you know in a beer career. That's 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 where I wanted to end up. So, um. So on all this, like, you have touched so many corners of so many different markets now, Mikel. Like, you've got Michelin-style restaurants in Bangkok. You've got, you know, starting a project in the Faroe Islands. You've got, um, you got, you know, you finally actually got your own brewery, which is a different, which was a different step, I guess. San Diego must have, what, what was the little, because yeah. um, after going all this time without necessarily your own brewery, was this the first time mm-hmm. you were like, right, actually, I'm going to get, Get going with the with the proper kit and and the proper people and uh, and and a tap room and and take it off Alesmith and and go for it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was it was I think it was a necessary step for us in the U.S. market because the U.S. market got extremely competitive mm-hmm. and there are so many amazing breweries in the U.S. Um, and I mean, when I traveled in the U.S., I didn't even want to drink my own beers because. I could get I could get local beers a lot more fresh and a lot a lot better yeah. because they were fresh um, and, and 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 cheaper as well. So I was like, this is not right. I mean, I'm going to a country. I mean, it's not that I drink my own beers all the time, but at least I, I, I want to I want I want to want them. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, like I'm not going to drink that because it's not fresh anymore. And that was why we did it in the US because it's a it's a huge market for us and and. And it's so competitive, and there are so many good breweries. And I thought, I mean, we have to do something about it. Either we don't, we don't work in the US, we don't export to the US, we do, or we do something else. And that's why we, I decided to do that. And then the opportunity with with Ale Smith uh, came up. Peter, I, Peter, I'd known Peter, uh, Peter Sign from Ale Smith for for many years. He actually helped me brew uh, Big Big Breakfast, yeah. uh, and I was like. I mean, one of the best breweries in the world is for sale, and the guy is calling me and asking me <laughs> if I want one. Like, it was a decision. It was a very big decision, yeah. and it took me like five minutes. He called me up, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, I'm buying it." And then, and then all, then all the work came from there. Oh. I mean, I, I have regretted it a million times since, but I'm very happy about it now. But 
it was extremely hard work having a brewery in the US. Yeah, I can imagine you have to navigate like just staffing it and trusting the people over there because I guess you're you know you're based in Copenhagen still, and it's a huge yeah, nine, nine, nine time zones. It's, it's not easy to work nine time zones. No, no, definitely not. Yeah, I've, I've, like when you go to work in, in Denmark, you, you, your work in in San Diego starts. So all all night it was just. Phone, for, uh, like phone meeting stuff. It was, Has it been everything yeah. you wanted it to be? Has it achieved and 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 done what you wanted it to be? And does it feel like uh, does it feel cool to have like a beating heart of like a brewery in in a space now? I, I I love it. I mean, I think we're doing some amazing beers and products. Um, I think we can still develop a lot over there. Yeah. Um, it's still young and new, um, and and we're still we, we're still finding our ways. Um, we have a, a, a really great uh, barrel barrel, uh, barrel guy who does some amazing sours and stuff, uh, which I, I think we should develop as well. Uh, we do some very good imperial stouts and stuff. And I think our hobby is good. So I'm a nine, I'm ninety five percent satisfied and happy. But I think we we, we still have something to. There's come. still space. I mean, yeah, definitely, yeah. I'm always interested in the answer to this question from any guest, but when someone has a business that works through nine different time zones across the globe, I'm especially interested in their point of view. How do you see the future of the beer world progressing? Or, as we like to put it, because of the terrible puns, where do we go from beer? So I was kind of getting to there. I've just got like a few like bullet points, but I keep getting distracted by them, but that you know, we could probably like start bringing this to a, to a close, but what I was saying is that you, you, you've expanded so much into so many different avenues through different ideas, thinking about things differently. I'm really interested to see how you see the next five years developing, whether it's for Mikola or whether it's just for beer in general, you know, is, is there cultural elements? Is there more beer styles to explore? Is there just different experiences to explore? Um, so how does that how does that look for you? I think, um, and I would say for both Mikel and the beer walls, I mean, and, and, and I might be very wrong, but but this is this is what I think. I mean, first of all, I think we have had quite a long period of 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 what do you call extreme beers, yeah. um, like beer that push the boundary and that test areas that that we have not been to, where we haven't been before, like these. Like pastry styles, hazy uh, IPs, all that stuff. I think uh, I see the beer world going back to basic, uh, kind of like we have this uh, this um, circle that we need to go back to. And uh, I mean, I've been advocating for lagers for quite a few years. Now. Uh, I've I've heard a lot of shit about it, but actually, I see it happening now. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk to my 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 guy at uh, my my general manager at one of our shops in Copenhagen. And today, when we release a lager for, from Morpix, for example, it actually gets a lot, quite a lot of attention from beer geeks as well, which I think is amazing. That because I mean, lagers are the base of of of, of modern beer, mm-hmm. and I think it's a pity that 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 it it belongs to the big breweries that we are not that we haven't taken that over yet. And I think it's 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 about time that we craft brewers actually take that over. I'm, I mean, there are amazing lager breweries in like Germany and oh. and and, and Czech and quite that. But I think the rest of the world we have to take do that as well. And I think it's happening. And then um, 
what I like a, a, a very narrow area in the beer world right now is uh, the non-alcohol beers, mm-hmm. but I actually think it's gonna it's gonna be the the future. Um, it's, I mean, for many people, we're we're moving into in, into an area where we have to think more about our health and all that stuff. And I think COVID has actually has actually sped that up because we see that the the ones most affected by by COVID are the ones that are the least healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, drinking a lot of alcohol is not it's not going to do you better. Um, so I think non-alcohol beers, way because we we have come to a point where you can actually, I think we can we can actually create beers that with no alcohol that actually have the same the characteristics and taste and and and, and as as normal beers. And I think that will that will definitely catch on. I mean, my, my, myself, I mean, I don't I don't need to drink alcohol every day, but I need to drink beer <laughs> because I love it. I learn. So so the more beer I get without alcohol, that taste. Amazing. The more I will, I will drink. I mean, I would love to. I mean, I drink beer pretty much because we have quite a, few, a big range of non-alcohol beers. So I drink, I drink beer pretty much all all hours that I'm awake from when I wake up in the morning when I do sports and stuff without no alcohol. So I think that's that is going to be a very very big part of the beer world moving forward. Also with sports and stuff like that. Do you ever see uh, foresee like a, a no alcohol beer festival? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I know a non-alcohol beer bar now. I mean, and I mean, and then you can have vodka shots in, yeah. the, in the back room. Yeah. So, all the brewers are like, absolutely smashed. I mean, I think that would be. I, I definitely see. I mean, I definitely see that growing a lot. Um, and then I think the the focus. I, this will take longer, but at some point, I think the focus areas of of craft beer will move a little bit as well. I mean, obviously, it's the US right now. Uh, I think Europe is it's definitely catching on. Uh, we're still we're still behind in terms of number of breweries and number of of, of grade and stuff. But I mean, there is a big big uh, big continent called Asia yeah. where it's, it's just moving right now. And I think both both uh, brewing wise, but also attention wise, we will it will move to Asia. I mean, I think the whole world is shifting right now to to Asia. I mean. It's obvious to everybody that they have been better at, at coping with 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 the pandemic that we've had right now, and I think in the future they they will be better at a lot, of, uh, at least as good as us as at, on a lot of things, a lot of areas, including brewing beer and including the, like educating consumers and stuff like that. So, so I think Asia is. I, I wouldn't be surprised that in in in, a, in ten whatever years that. There would be so many great breweries in Asia, and it will be talk of the town, like Europe is becoming right now. But yeah. well, and a lot so, of the manufacturing is done in China, for instance, like brewing kits and everything like that. Is you know a lot of people are just buying it all from from China, um, and you just think of like the population density and stuff, and you just like. You know, our whole year would could be drank in Shanghai in a night or something. <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's just insane the scale of it, and it's so interesting you talk about. They're getting so educated and so so knowledgeable about. I mean, we opened our first uh, bar in Shanghai in, in China in Shanghai in uh, in June, I think it was, in the middle of the pandemic, and it's been our pretty much our best foreign performing bar wow. ever. It's it's crazy. I mean, they're they're just so ready to take yeah. it on. I mean, yeah. So that's so exciting. That's really exciting. And yeah. And, and yeah, like you say, it'd be really cool to start seeing a few more breweries from uh, from Asia, kind of um, 
shifting beers over here and stuff. I haven't had loads like another young masters and things. Um, just on, just on that, I was kind of, I wasn't actually going to cover it, but I think you've got such an interesting perspective on the COVID situation because you work in so many different territories. Like, how have you managed to, how have you handled this? Because you know you are literally, like you say, you're in Shanghai, you're in Bangkok, then you're in Copenhagen, and then you've got you know London, and every country has done so differently in in handling this crisis. Um, and you know, but yours are all falling back into your own business, so. It must have been extremely challenging. I can't even imagine uh, the ways and, and meetings you must have had to, to deal with it. it. It has been very challenging. But it's also, I mean, as you say, having businesses in so many, so many different countries also, we have some, some, some kind, of, kind of background knowledge mm-hmm. that, I mean, you hear, you hear stories, but I mean, we can, we can say it firsthand. There's a lot of talk about Asia and especially China having handled this better than anybody else pretty much uh, and a lot of people say it's bullshit they're just covering the numbers and stuff like that but I, I can honestly say that that Asia has been for us has been a lot better at handling this than anybody else I mean we've had bars in Asia that have never been closed wow. even in countries That's and, and the countries where there has not been any like Taiwan in Taipei in Taiwan for example never been closed uh, Seoul Korea never been closed and they don't have big, uh, huge problems with with number of cases and stuff. In China as well since June. I mean, there's a little bit happening now, but 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 uh, I mean, it's it's been open since June, and and it, it's been extremely busy. And 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 then we see in in Europe and the US obviously that, that things are terrible. Are just going back. <laughs> then London opens up, and then two weeks later it just shuts down completely, and it's yeah. So in that way, yeah, we have some. Uh, we we have some background data that actually shows who's 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 uh, dealing with it with with this the best, um, which is kind of interesting actually. So it, I, I would say I'm not surprised, but but yeah. Yeah, I would probably say I'm not surprised as well. But it's just like it just just hearing of a bar not being closed all this, all through the pandemic and seeing what's happened in the UK is just uh, it feels. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel real that like some people aren't experiencing what you're experiencing because you feel like it's such a global thing. But anyway, I won't dive too deep into that. Um, again, Michael, because you've got uh, Michael, you've got such um, a kind of expansive knowledge over this. I just wondered if you could give yourself a bit of wisdom um, that you've learned all along this, you know, 13 year journey back to when you were just just coming out of your homebrew days. Is there anything that you would say to do differently? or you know bestow upon that younger Mikel or, or do you think everything that's happened has been the right thing obviously not I mean there, there are things that I would change but in, in like overall I would say that not um, I mean there's not a lot of stuff that I would have done very different mm-hmm. um, I, mean, I mean I mean the approach that I've had I mean a lot of people see Mikel as a as a like a, a big commercial kind of craft brewery today, which in, in terms of numbers and numbers of bars and, and, and all that stuff is correct. But, but in terms of how I work and how we work is, is extremely incorrect because we still take like crazy quick decisions that, that in, in an organization like ours would not happen. But we're still the same people. I'm still the same guy as, as, as I were 15 or 13 or whatever years ago. And I still have the same the same goal with with what I'm doing. I mean, my goal is not to grow a, a huge global uh, craft brewery. My, my goal is to create 
great beer, great bars, great experiences for people. And uh, and honestly, I don't I don't look too much at my numbers. I have other people doing that, but it's 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 not my passion and not, and not my my my. And, and I think that will never change. I mean, I get more turned on by 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 making the next great whatever uh, spontaneous fermented beer than I do by seeing good numbers for for December last year or something. I mean, it's just not my thing. So I, oh, I love. So anyways, I'll probably do the same again. Oh, yeah. I love the idea that you know, like you put, you know, your head and heart is in people's experience and. That the rewards from that will be hopefully reaped and build, you know, and it has. It's built Mikula as a global brand, and that's just through trying to think about how people experience that product, like that just beer. But then moving out from there, it's it's incredible, man. Um, I think as long as you're true to yourself and true to what 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 you like and believe, I think it's it's a way to go. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I can oh, only attest to that. Um, okay, Mikael, I, you, I, you've been so kind and generous in giving you time here. So I think I better bring it to a better bring it to a close. Um, so I kind of gave you my, my anyway, so I have to go. You, 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 need, you need another non-alcoholic one. Uh, so yeah, last day on earth or desert island or the Armageddon's coming or something, you know, terrible or something great, whatever you want. But there's just one last beer. And it's just sitting on the table or sitting in the fridge or sitting on the bar. And it's the one that you would go to more than any other. And maybe it's not been brewed yet. Maybe it's been brewed years ago. Maybe it's one of your own beers. Maybe it's someone else's beer. But what beer would that be for you? I mean, I, I always say the same beer. And I know a lot of people would say the same, but it's actually, it's actually on my arm, this guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well... I mean, in my opinion, Orwell has, has what the beer world is. Um, it, it has uh, tradition. It has, in my opinion, it's modern as well because it's so modern compared to the Travis breweries. Mm-hmm. And it's always a bit, every time I drink that beer, I, I get amazed how unique it is. So it will always be my last beer. <sighs> Unless somebody makes a better better version, but I don't think that's going to happen. They've been brewing this for, I don't know, 130 years or something. Yeah, so. they've got some time it, behind them. And does beer still excite you, Mikael? Like, do your beers still excite you and creating new beers still excite you? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, a lot. I mean, uh, during the pandemic, I've, I've been traveling, obviously, more in Europe. And I, I mean, I've been I've been a lot in Germany and, and visiting these, these old traditional uh, family-owned uh, uh, lager breweries. And I get extremely, extremely excited by by tasting these things that have been, been that they have brewed for many, many years. And it's, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's such a big world, and there's so many things, and so many things happening, and that had happened, and is happening, and will happen. And yeah, it's we only. I used to say we're only at the beginning with with beer. I mean, we we we're we're just getting started. There's so much more we can do. So I I also think that like you know every so every brewer who's who I've spoken to on this and every listener will probably be like sighing because I repeat this every time. But every brewer says lager is the is what they want to see and what they think the world is turning to. And it's also interesting you saying about like this cyclical thing because you almost think that like we're just in this absolute world of experimentation and actually that this circle will come back around and breweries might just start brewing like two beers again, but just like honing this, the crafts. Yeah, Yeah, I I definitely think so. Awesome. I mean, we've had our time time of praising this. 
I think we will eventually slowly go back to to focus on a, on Hellas or a Doppelbock or something like that, um, or something else. But but definitely, oh, yeah. Mikel, I can't thank you enough. Like I said, you've been such a huge kind of part of my journey through beer, which so, has lasted me for six years, and I'm so happy that like the Nelson Sovan was actually something that you. Uh, that had meaning for you because that was like such a huge part of my career. So I hope to catch you for a beer in Copenhagen come October, come what may. All fingers crossed. We will. But um, I can't thank you enough for giving your time, Mikkel. We will make it happen. Yes, yes. Hello. Thanks so much. It was great And that's it. Episode five of season two in the bag. We are halfway through. And what an episode that was. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed uh, the interview. It was some. It was one of those ones that you take a lot away from, um, for me personally, I, and I hope you guys did too. I love just these little chance meetings uh, or these little bits of luck that just stem into something so much bigger. And I think they happen to all of us. It's just how willing you are to invest in that Um Opportunity when it comes your way, do you kind of stand on the sidelines and let it pass by, which is totally cool. Sometimes that's the right thing to do, uh, or do you just grab it with both hands and just run with it? And yeah, I guess Mikel has definitely run with it. They've got a running club, so I guess that's what you do. Um, thanks so much for listening. Like always, if you could give the show a five-star review, that always helps us. Uh, a big shout-out to Tom Coucher, producer um, extraordinaire. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. We've got loads more awesome content lined up. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Thanks so much for listening. And as ever, stay thirsty. Stay thirsty.